Hi, and welcome to the Baker's Dozen podcast. I'm Andy Baker, and I'm a screenwriter, narrative designer, and world builder who does deep dives on genre TV shows. And right now I'm focusing on Loki from Marvel and airing on Disney+. Let's dive in. One. A quick heads up. If you don't usually listen to my podcast, I approach things a little differently. I don't recap and just comment on every scene. I try to isolate elements that I think will shape the narrative. You know, sometimes I agree with what they do, sometimes I don't, but uh, I just want to highlight the development process, the reasons why things might be in there. Obviously, I wasn't in the writer's room, but I have some insight into how these kind of decisions get made. But I also have a rule. What I bloviate about here can't be longer than the show itself. And the episode was about 37 minutes long when you cut out the previously on catch-up and the end credits, although throw in another minute for the mid-credit sequence scene with Sylvie. But anyway, let's get moving. Two. The title. Titles are always the first thing that we see. They're always important. The writers put a lot of time and effort into picking them, and uh, our title this week is Ouroboros. Anyway, the um, it is one of those uh, circles where usually it's a snake, sometimes it's a dragon, thank you, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones, but where a snake is eating its tail, and so it is in a circle, and so indicating infinity and the circularity of existence, I guess. Anyway, so we have this circularity of the Ouroboros, but also sort of feeding on itself. The end is the beginning, is the end. And so you have to wonder lots of things. Is this episode, are we going to be right back here in the finale where same sort of sequence of events, but we understand them differently now based on all that's transpired? And how are things going to be different then? And is it feeding on itself? Or will they be able to escape the cycle? And obviously there have been hints here that there is the potential for escaping the cycle, right? Where you have things happening in the past, suddenly then influencing the present, a very familiar science fiction conceit where, and we'll get into it more, but the idea with OB and the fact that Loki is changing things in the past and suddenly he is remembering them in the present. So anyway, when we talk about Ouroboros, it's not just the title, it's not just the circularity of things, but it's also the character of Obi. And so you have to ask yourself, is he maybe more important than he appears? He fixes things and builds things. And so you have to start asking yourself questions. Who built the TVA? Well, certainly we've been told the one who remains is instrumental in all of this. But somebody designed and built this whole place outside of time, and somebody built the loom? OB, did he design and build the time loom? These are big questions, but I think we are going to... There's always things that surprise us in a show like this, and so and often that comes in the form of characters who aren't what they appear. I have more on that later, but... 
I think one of those characters is going to be Obi, somebody who seems so innocent and funny and quirky and amusing. That is a great way to misdirect so that when we come back to this place, we will realize that Obi is he's the snake, perhaps. Three. The loom and logistics. So just wanted to jump in on this. Well, one, the whole idea that it's a loom is a bit literal. The whole idea that time is a tapestry that is being woven together from all of the strands of all of the people and all of the timelines and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's a bit on the nose, but you know, we'll, we'll run with it. It allows for some fun visuals. So speaking of which those special effects, they poured a lot of money into that location and all that's going on in that space. Clearly we're going to have to keep coming back here. You don't visit it once and then don't come back because, you know, you see that machine and you see time feeding into it. And you know, obviously we've got some stuff going on where the whole space is threatened by what's happening with the loom. But, you know, you don't spend a lot of time, energy, and money in designing that whole location and not keep coming back to it. So prepare yourself. I, I, it's cool, so I don't mind coming back to it, but it's going to be woven in, haha, woven in to the whole story and keep dropping into episodes because, you know, it is become, because of the expense, it is now one of your digital standing sets. But... Anyway, just for a second, wanted to talk about how, you know, the logistics of that location and whether it's science fiction conceit or it is just something that's narratively convenient or something that will get explained away at some point down the line. But just think about like who the heck designed and built this machine that somehow brings all of these threads of time into like pulling them into this sacred timeline and culling all of the potential branches off of it. And then you have to feed time into it. Like, how does that work? I'm guessing we're not going to get a lot of that explained, but there'll be some attention paid to it, I would hope and imagine. But, you know, then you have this random place out there that you can attach an extractor to, but you have to go out in a fat suit, scuba gear, spacesuit thing with a big fat tube attached to it. And then you have to shoot a cable into the time stream and then the person will come flying out. Like who designs a system like that? It's, it's absurd. It makes for fun television. It is visually interesting, but it is utterly absurd. If it was on paper in a, in a short story or novel, you'd say, no way, I don't accept this. It's not real enough. Even for lighter sci-fi, you'd still not accept it, but it's on Disney plus it looks really interesting and fun. And so, you know, this is apparently how they got all of the other variants is shooting this thing and pulling them out, but it, it's all very, it's questionable in the logic that went into this, that there was an excuse for making something fun and interesting and good to look at, but really doesn't hold up when you start trying to look at it as real place that would have been designed this way. Four. Now we'll look at the loom and its narrative uses. The biggest one of all is that it's your ticking clock. We know that it is under pressure and we know that it is going to be under strain. And uh, a decision is going to have to be made ultimately about whether you want to preserve a singular timeline or if you are going to let 
there would be all these other timelines, but then you're inviting this thing to, well, we don't know, explode? We're not sure. It has been stated by a number of characters at this point that it would be bad to just kill the other timelines. So you can't really do that without you know paying a narrative price. But you can't let the loom explode or that would, I mean, you're going to have the argument probably made that that's going to kill everyone. So it's not even like, okay, we can keep this one timeline and call off all the others. Yeah, all those people die. But if we don't do it, all of us are going to die. And so you're going to end up talking about having a third option where you let the loom explode, let the loom get to that place where it's like, okay, can we fix it, tweak it, change it? So that all of the other branches get to continue to exist, but they get cut away from this particular timeline permanently. And so rather than having characters have to say goodbye to everybody and all of these other branches, characters they might get to know, because we know Sylvia's going to be staying in one of the timelines and we know that Loki's going to be jumping around. But are we going to have a situation where those other branches get to then exist? And become their own universes, which would then conveniently become the multiverse that you can somehow traverse them, but they have their own distinct existences where you can't have the war that has been suggested that would happen with all of the different he who remains, Kangs, whatever you want to call them, that there would, it would create the mess. Maybe there is some middle ground where... You don't have to destroy the other universes, but you also can prevent the danger that is looming. I do wonder also if, you know, you're going to have all of the variants when you're going to get to this moment where, okay, all of the branches are going to be shooting off in their own directions. They were all pulled out of lives. And are the variants going to be reunited with who they once were? See the lives that they were pulled from? and end up having to face a choice. Do I go back to that life who I once was that I don't really remember it, but it is a place that I belong, that feels natural, that feels good to me. And so you end up saying goodbye to some of these characters and they will go off while others remain behind to take care of things. Sort of an emotional moment, emotional sequence to leave off everything at the end. And it allows for different things to happen with significant characters where someone who's a bit of a hard ass ends up being a softer version and ends up wanting to stay there and others who realize, no, this place is better off without me perhaps. And I need to go back and redeem myself and continue to work with the TVA, but it'll be interesting. There's lots of potential there. Five. I have one worry and it, it comes down to one word, joylessness. The character of Loki, Loki is the god of mischief. And Tom Middleston is so very good in the role. And we want to see him being amusing, funny, sardonic, sarcastic. And he's just in the gravity of this situation. It's so serious. And he's going through all this time skipping, which is very violent and has to be so serious all the time. I struggle with the tone. Now they are doing some things here where Loki's conversation with OB and whenever he's dealing with Mobius, those are amusing moments. There was that great moment in the elevator when that poor TVA underling 
we don't realize she's in the elevator and then it's revealed. It's funny. It works. And it's just a great reminder that this is the heart of the show that, yeah, there's going to be big stakes. You want there to be big stakes, but at the same time, this is built around the character of Loki. And I know we're trying to redeem him, trying to get him to be something more than he was. And there are always hints of that in the Marvel universe, but we want to be reminded why we like the character in the first place. So hopefully they will go out of their way to give us more moments of that now that we're past some of this table setting here at the beginning. Six. A counterpoint to that point about joylessness is that there is so much potential here for a Loki, Mobius, buddy road comedy as they gallivant through time. And certainly the trailers for this season show that, you know, they know what they have in Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston as a pair. And so there's a lot of humor that will come from that because, you know, the characters are drawn up. They are very different. And if you've seen the trailer, you've heard Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, talking about the fact that we are very different, you and I, Loki, that I go a little more slowly sitting there and eating a piece of pie. And it's, it's very amusing you know, how impatient Loki is compared to Mobius, but there's going to be a lot of humor that comes from that. And I'm here for it. I am very much looking forward to seeing where that relationship goes from here. Seven. Sylvie. Now, Sylvie's a very interesting character. I was of two minds about her character in season one. There's a lot to like. It's very interesting. And a little bit queasy that Loki has a romantic thing going with another version of himself. When somebody says, go F yourself, like they don't mean it literally. But her arrival in this episode was a welcome one. But then that mid credits scene showing where she is now, I'm sure there's reams being written and said about it all over the internet. You sort of start digging into the Marvel lore around Broxton, Oklahoma and Lady Loki and the Enchantress and is Asgard there and they're being coy about it all. I, I think where she's going to live some life there in this place and wait, it'll be interrupted by the arrival of the hunters and then Loki will show up and it'll all turn into a thing. And, you know, she'll get pulled into the drama. That's how the story is built. Uh, I'll be interested to see how things work from there. She was clearly looking for Loki in the time strain when she says, there you are. But maybe she's waiting for him to find her or is just content to be removed. Maybe she thinks Loki wants nothing to do with her now that she has created this mess and is riding out time in this mundane existence at a McDonald's because she created this mess by killing He Who Remains at the end of season one. So long-winded way of saying, I have my eye out to watch what they're doing with Sylvie because to some degree, she's the MacGuffin. She's the thing that Loki's after, but she's also a hybrid protagonist, antagonist, She's a hard one to pin down, and that's interesting to me. I like when characters are slippery like that. I will be interested to see what they end up doing with the pairing of her and Loki. She's probably got to sort of drift in and drift out and have a whole bunch of agency of her own. The show is Loki's, but there it's more seemingly that he's going to be paired up with Mobius and 
Sylvie will be an ongoing complication, but it'll be interesting, actually, not that I'm going to do this, to put a timer on how much time Loki and Sylvie are on screen at the same time versus Mobius and Loki and how much time they have as individuals. Do we spend a lot of time just with Mobius without Loki around? Certainly with that credit sequence, we're going to see Sylvie on her own. And by doing that, it establishes, okay, she's going to get some time in episodes all by herself where we get to understand the stakes for her, what her goals are and where she wants to go from here. Certainly she has more history and backstory to dig up and probably is more heavily involved with Loki in the end goal insofar as Obius is maybe less instrumental and his character arc is more subdued. So anyway, long-winded way of saying Sylvie's interesting. I'll be curious to see where she goes from here. Hey. The council. I can't shake the feeling that there's going to be something surprising about them. We've got three of them. We have the old sleeping dude. And so he's probably not going to be anything surprising. I, I could be wrong, but I, I, that was the vibe and feel of it. They're certainly playing up General Cox as the antagonist or an antagonistic force opposed to this decision to let the, the sacred timeline not be so sacred anymore. She's clinging to that version of existence, but it seems like she's being shaped more as the misguided rule follower. This is the way it's always been and always shall be, and probably will have her eyes opened up by what she sees in these other branching timelines and maybe gets a glimpse of who she used to be as she moves around the, the multiverse. But so Judge Gamble, she's the one, interestingly enough, that I think might surprise or shock us. That's storytelling 101 when you have the character who is agreeing with the protagonist and letting all of this happen that we end up finding out that they have their own agenda, their own purpose, their own goals that seemingly were in line with the protagonist, but then the protagonist ends up doing some things that serve Judge Gamble's own ends. Again, it's how you shape that council. You have three characters and one of them is who they appear to be. That's the old sleeping guy. There is one who you, we think is going to be the problem is quote unquote evil and ends up going through some sort of art and changing and actually coming around to see things from the protagonist's point of view. And then you have the other character who goes through the opposite arc, who seemingly is aligning with the protagonists and is quote unquote good. But ultimately we end up finding out that they aren't who they say they are. Be very curious if this is in fact where they're going with it. But certainly if I were pitching who the council should be and the roles that they should play, that's how I would do it. Nine. Can't talk about Loki as a show without talking very briefly about Jonathan Majors. Obviously, he's got a whole bunch of problems right now. He's got a court hearing later this month on domestic violence charges and Rolling Stone had an article that dug into his past and apparently there's all kinds of issues. So he's supposed to be a massive part of 
the MCU moving forward. And uh, it says something that the one time we, you know, we see um, him as a statue and we hear him as an audio tape, they're going to try to find every way they can to cut him out of the episodes. And I agree with that decision 100%. He will show up, I'm sure, because there's no way around it entirely. But I don't see how, if the case is as cut and dry as Rolling Stone would have us believe, then uh, I don't see how he can be a figure in the MCU moving forward. But certainly there is going to be some weird shaping of this season where we are going to have, you know, characters are going to sum up things that he remains would say or would have done. And other characters are going to be sort of a proxy for the antagonist. But yeah, I, I don't envy the producers and what they had to do to try to address this issue. But I certainly hope they did. And I have full faith that they did. But, you know, what a mess. And, but, you know, there's a right way to go about things. There is right and wrong in this world. There is morality and ethics in this world. And there's no amount of, oh, but they're a part of our show and we have money tied up in this. I don't care. You have to do the right thing. And I'm really hoping that as we move forward, we will continue to see that those folks at Marvel are mindful that people are watching and decisions like this really matter. Ten. A whole lot of table setting, including a whole ton of jargon. I mean, this is what happens at the beginning of a season of television where you have to pick up where you left off, need to have some drama in that first episode, and then you need to table set for the season ahead. And when you're doing all of that, and in a sci-fi world where you're introducing concepts like time skipping, well, that's an easy one. We can understand what that means. We have some shorthand there and the temporal loom. Okay. It's a little bit literal, a little bit on the nose, but we get the concept, you know, time you know, with all of these different branches, things have to get woven together and cut away. Okay. I get it. But then you add in things like the temporal aura extractor, and then you have to introduce all the rules about that. And, you know, you start getting to a point where it's like, okay, just, just do what you're going to do in the end, like with all sci-fi and fantasy for that matter. It's always about the human drama and you can dress it up in whatever sci-fi conceits that you want and you can introduce all of this stuff, but the table setting is what it is where, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, they, they've set in motion some things that will actually wrap up at the end of the season. And it's such a weird thing with a lot of the streaming shows coming off of watching Wheel of Time and watching Ahsoka where when you have these seasons where you don't know a hundred percent that you're going to get renewed, but you think you are, so you're ending, but not ending, you're keeping all of these threads around for future seasons, it ends up not being as satisfying as it could be when you are not able to be as committal as you need to be in storytelling. So when you start a season two, like you are here in Loki, it's like, okay, we need to pick up the stuff that didn't get finished in season one. We need to promise to try and answer those questions as well as trying to answer new questions that we're introducing. When you only have six episodes to do it, 
and we're going to have to build in some stuff that won't get answered, but will get answered in season three. And it's such a delicate balance of making things satisfying while keeping us engaged and wondering and invested in future seasons. But I, I will say this, Wheel of Time and Ahsoka did not get the balance right. I'm more hopeful for Loki. Um, but again, as always, I, as I seemingly say all the time, we'll see. But it's important, I think, to give a conclusion at the end of a season that pays off your table setting and doesn't push too much of it downstream where people feel like they're not getting the ending that not that they expected or wanted because you have to with expectations some of them you will meet and some of them you will defy that's just the nature of good storytelling but you can't avoid coming to some final decisions on where your story is going and bringing some things to a satisfying conclusion and so go ahead and introduce all the jargon you want, all of the different sci-fi conceits and all the different new locations. And we've got some new characters here. And all of that is uh, a good use of your narrative time. And, you know, it's, it sort of creates new arcs and new storylines to bring to an end. But hopefully they will at least answer some of the bigger looming questions. Eleven. The little things, there's always some things that I notice that really don't warrant their own section here in the Baker's Dozen, but I'll just rapid fire, throw them at you and I'll move on. So what the heck with that car that crashes in through the window and then the driver like falls to her death and we hear the scream and the thud that was sort of played for laughs, but that didn't land as a funny punchline to me somebody just died and nobody is reacting to that we're just moving right past it i that's it's a choice certainly not one i would have made loki saying to casey don't you know me we just went through a scene where he was he, it was abundantly clear from what mobius was telling him that of course casey doesn't know you loki's a smart guy he's in a time space where people don't know him the fact that he is saying that in that moment just jumped out at me as like, I, I would cut that line from the script. I don't understand. Like, okay, you wanted him to be able to say something to Casey. I get it. But it probably should come from a place of Casey. I know you don't know me, but not say like, don't you know me? He doesn't know you, Loki, and you know it. Next little thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's silly, but X5 and Owen Wilson both being in this cast, clearly somebody in casting really likes smashed up noses. I can't unsee it. They, they both clearly lost a fight in their youth and, and didn't get everything fixed. I, I can't talk. My, my nose shifts over to the left from an elbow I took playing basketball, but, and maybe that's why I'm noticing it, but my goodness, we got a couple of smashed noses in this show. And the last thing, that light flicker of that desk lamp. Is it Morse code? I don't know if it would be that simple because obviously internet slews would crack it right away and that information would be out and around and everyone would have it, but they focused in on it. And you know, when you have people jumping around through time and probably needing to create some sort of signal so that people will see it so that when time gets changed in the past and people remember things suddenly like OB did, 
someone's going to know to look at that light flashing and be able to figure out what's going on. Like this is the Ouroboros again. We're going to come back to this moment and characters are going to know something new and different and they're going to see that light and finally understand what it means. And I, I like that kind of stuff. I'll just be curious what it actually is when it gets revealed to us, but let's put a pin in that one. 12. And going to throw a few questions out at you here that are just looming that, you know, might be answered in the weeks ahead, but just things I'm thinking about when trying to get my head around where things go from here. So what's up with Hunter X5 and General Docs? Like there's a weird relationship thing going on there. And they're also working together. They're aligned. So very curious to see where that very odd relationship goes. You have to wonder if it's connected to some degree with who they were before they were extracted from the timeline. Since everyone's variants, I guess we'll find out. Judge Gamble, I just wonder, like character names, they are selected so very carefully. People kick them around. You try to see if it sounds right, feels right for the character. Certainly when the producers, writers are talking in the writer's room and talking about these new characters, they spend a fair bit of time talking about what do we name them? You don't choose the name Gamble by accident. So in this first episode, Judge Gamble took a gamble by saying, okay, we're going to let the different branches exist. We can't kill everybody. But you just wonder if there are going to be some bigger risks later on. And we're going to find out that this on-the-nose name of Gamble has a more significant meaning. Again, you don't use that name without having some sort of intent somewhere. Next question, how will Loki find his way to Sylvia? Like, that's the driving force. We know where she is. We know where he is. And we know that he's been pulled out of time. He's, and he's just seen her saying, well, there you are. He's going to go looking for her. Question is, how does he get there? Certainly, if you've seen the trailer, there's a whole lot of jumping through different time periods. And it kind of felt very quantum leapy. You have these doors opening in these time periods and they end up having to dress in that time period and figure out what's going on and maybe solve some problems. And talk to people back in the home base. I'm done more. I'm talking about it. Gosh, <laughs> Loki is quantum leap done in the MCU. And finally, of course, the big question at the very end of the episode, where is Hunter X5 or where, where is he going with general docs and all of the time hunters? That's a whole lot of people. And is it all for Sylvie? Certainly she has proved herself capable but it's the hint that there's something larger afoot. And the question is, what is that thing? Certainly when you have he who remains and others out there, all of this is going to build towards that. And this is just the first tiny sliver of it to give us an indication. 13. And finally, I'm just going to leave off with, it's that big choice that is going to be defining this whole season. Do they go back to the sacred timeline or do they let the branches exist? But the suspicion that that's going to destroy the loom or a Boros, we're going to come back to this whole sequence of going out there in that suit and 
the extractor and all of that. We're going to see the loom being imperiled. It's going to be falling apart. Everything's shaking. Everything's going, it looks like everything's going to get destroyed. And then there's going to be some big solution there where we'll find the unexpected third option. They're neither going to go back to the sacred timeline. They told us they can't really do that. They can't just let all of the other branches exist and create a massive multiverse war. And so there's going to have to be that middle ground. And as I said earlier, to me, it seems like you let the loom cut off or allow the branches to naturally separate themselves and become universes onto themselves, separate and distinct. Maybe you put in some finality and say that there will never be, like you can have a multiverse within this one timeline, but all of those branches that go off on their own become separate timelines that exist and never the twain shall meet where they can't come together so that you have the multiverse, but then you have these infinite separate universes, all of which can have their own multiverse. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Might be a little too much, but I kind of like the idea. Okay. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I think when I get this thing cut down, it'll be right around the time of the episode, around 37 minutes. We'll see. I certainly uh, hope so, but I thank you for tuning in. There'll be another one coming next week. And remember, after the six episodes of Loki, I will be moving on to Monarch Legacy of Monsters, the Godzilla King Kong Apple show. So just, and remember also, that I'm doing another podcast with my son called Why Are You Making Me Watch This? The next episode should drop this week. It's where he and I make each other watch stuff uh, and then explain why we made each other watch it and what we thought of what we made each other watch. So hopefully you'll give it a listen. And finally, just as a personal plug, if you find any of this analysis interesting, two things. One, tell people about the podcast. And two, if you have a project that you would like a pair of eyeballs to take a look at and give you some feedback, I'm your guy. Find me, the Baker's Dozen podcast online at b13pod.com or b13pod on X, formerly known as Twitter. It's also on Facebook. All right. I will see you guys next week. I hope all is well. Peace. Peace.